Welcome to the Wonder Woman series of the Maker Mom podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every week I bring you two interviews of female and non-binary makers of all kinds, some of them parents, some of them not. This week's Wonder Women series guest is Larissa of Lore Woodworking in, uh, in or near Philadelphia. Um, I've been following Larissa for a little while and you know, I was actually surprised uh, learning all the parts about her journey into woodworking. Um, and so I think it's a really great story and I know you're going to enjoy it just as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Before we hop on into the interview, though, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Christy, Twisted Twine Woodworking, Christina B., Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren, uh, Rasfile Designs, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Toolmom Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. So thank you all so very much for your continued ongoing support, helping me to produce two episodes a week every month. With no further ado, here is Larissa of Lore Woodworking. All right. Well, I'm going to let you then introduce yourself, tell people who you are. So all right. go ahead when you are ready. All right. Uh, I am Larissa Huff part owner of Lore Woodworking. Um, I live in Philadelphia, but our shop is in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania. Um, I've been woodworking, making furniture for going on like nine years, I guess now. Um, and I was once a math teacher, took an abrupt turn into woodworking and never really looked back. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, honestly, I can actually see that connection there from math to woodworking. Like there's a lot a of math. Jump. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of math in woodworking. Um, so part owner, who's the other owner? So Jeff Lore, the namesake of the business, um, built the shop on his own property, um, and has had like 20 something apprentices over the years. Um, and me and Rob is my co-owner. Um, we were his last apprentices. And when he retired, he handed the business over to us. So now we teach all our classes, um, make our furniture kind of a collaboration most of the time um and yeah so I guess Rob Jeff still owns part of the business as he should okay. um mm -hmm. but me and Rob run all the operations and all that fun stuff awesome yeah. um so with COVID are you able to like get into the shop right now with COVID <laughs> yes <laughs> um yes we are uh we were shut down for a while um, but me and Rob have kind of bubbled ourselves, like our families. I live with my fiance and no one else. Um, and he works for himself and then Rob's family is pretty small. So the two of us feel comfortable working together. Um, mm -hmm. and we have been running classes since the state says that we can, um, but with a smaller number of people and a bunch of COVID protocol. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're operating, but a little bit differently. I think like everyone else. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, before we uh, get too much down that that journey of woodworking, I want to go back to your childhood a little ways. And uh, where'd you grow up? What kind of things were you interested in as a kid? Um, I was in Massachusetts until I was 12. Um, my mom was a single mom and she went back to college and became an accountant all during my childhood. So I 
spent a lot of time with my grandparents, which I was super lucky um, to do. And my mom was like a huge role model. She was busting her butt to make sure that we had a good life. She bought her first house and all these crazy things in my childhood. Um, and then she got engaged when I was 12 and he lived in Florida. So we moved to Florida, um, which was a whole other adventure. <laughs> uh, yeah, that seems like worlds apart between the culture around Massachusetts and the culture around Florida. Yeah, like to the utmost degree, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I lived there through college and then moved to Philly a year after I graduated college. Okay. Yeah. So since you, in your intro, you said you were a math teacher. Is that what you went to school for then, college? Yeah, I was a secondary mathematics education major at Florida State University. <laughs> um, there was like 12 of us. Nobody <laughs> wants to be a math teacher. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed it. And I really thought that was my plan. I moved to Philly fully planning on getting certified to teach in Pennsylvania. That was always the plan, um, but I answered a Craigslist ad, and that all changed. Really? Okay, now you yeah. have to explain. <laughs> um, so when I first moved here, I was teaching SAT prep and studying to take the test to get certified in Pennsylvania, and I needed more income, so I was looking for other teaching jobs, mostly in like crafty things, like kids' art classes and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and Jeff was advertising for a woodworking apprentice slash teaching assistant. Hmm. And I have never done any woodworking at this point. Oh, no tools. Have never done anything even close to it. And I completely on a whim was like, well, that sounds, sounds kind of cool. And applied and that's that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I have to add, like, I mean, you had no experience, and so you're going to go into this, like, you applied, I'm assuming there's an interview, like, you're going yeah. into this process, like, are you just, yeah. like, BSing your way through it, or are That's you, That's a great like... question. That's a great question. I am a terrible BSer, so no, luckily, that was not required. Um, he wanted, basically, he wanted someone with no experience so that he could train them um, from the ground up which is a bold move for any like mm -hmm. mentor to take. Um, but he also wanted someone who could handle like the internet. So he wanted someone to write a blog and mm. get him some social media accounts. And of course, as a millennial, I was like born for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had always, I had also always done like, you can tell from behind me, like weird crafty things, like 3D paper things and I did photography briefly, but none of it ever really like stuck in a real way. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought maybe this like union of what seems to be practical and functional and math based, but also a little bit artsy. And I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I do this and it turns out to be weird and terrible. And then I don't do it. <laughs> but it was like from the first day, my first mm -hmm. eight hour day, I was like, um, this is it. So yeah, I was gonna say you you took a chance and applied for it and everything to be like side work, right? I mean, your intent was like to bring yes. extra money and then because <laughs> you were yeah. doing all these other things. So that first day, did you just like in an instant pivot and this was this was it? You're going full in? Uh, well, in my brain, yes. But at that point, I had only been hired to work like two days a week. Mm -hmm. So, because apprentices actually cost your business money, which I'm sure is a surprise to no one. <laughs> um, so he only, I was working like two or three days a week and then I still taught SAT prep. And then he could tell that I was like really in it. And he let me stay um, at night and work on my own stuff and come in on the weekends and work on my own stuff and kind of like suss out my own experiments. Um, mm -hmm. And then it got to the point where he was like, all right, you've been here for 90 days. So you either have to commit to two years because that's how long it takes for an apprentice to earn money for the business mm -hmm. or this is it. And I was like, I'm in it. <laughs> awesome. And I'm so, still in it. <laughs> you're still in it. Um, so this really has me like intrigued. I have to ask, like, 
what does he start you doing as somebody who's never like done this before well he he's a he's like every like old school woodworking mentor he's a character in like the best way (laughs) um and so he he's had 20 apprentices before me he's no fear being like do this thing and if you mess it up we'll fix it so um, my first day they were building some sort of like floor cabinet and they had me with a coping saw cutting out like tenons. I didn't know what any of the words were. They just like hand me the saw and they're like, you probably can't hurt yourself with this saw. Like you really have to try. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty brave. Uh, like somewhat on his side because I would say like I had an apprentice for a very for a brief amount of time and I was like you're sanding that's all I got yeah. you doing right yeah. now is you're sanding. I mean I did a lot of that too. <laughs> I did a lot of go for work like go get me that wrench yeah. go get me that thing Um, a lot of like just laying stuff out so that he could then do the operation yeah there was a lot of like normal apprentice work but um our school like the classes that we teach um the practical woodworking class is like an intensive and I in my first month he like made me a student basically in that class Mm -hmm. so I could get like a mega dose of the baseline and then at least I knew how to like use a tablecloth safely right right yeah so so it's both school and then uh he was making custom furniture that you were um, assisting with type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you guys have kept that model since, uh, taking over. Yeah. Yeah. We try to maintain like a 50% school, 50% furniture. Um, but every year is a little different, um, depending on how the economy is or, you know, what's going right. on. But what's the style of furniture that you guys, uh, uh make and teach? Jeff, um did like he has a very distinct style he did like a refined arts and crafts vibe um so a lot of green and green Mm -hmm. um um macintosh like piercing cutouts Mm -hmm. and like buttons on every joint um so that's how I learned building his style and then since me and Rob have taken over like three ish years we've been kind of spending a lot of time making spec pieces figuring out what Larissa and Rob collaborations look like. So we've taken a lot of the arts and crafts ethos. Um, so like exposed joinery and mm-hmm. taking pride in like design, um, announcing how these things are put together, but taking influence from a lot of other things, kind of figuring out, um, I'd say it's a little bit more modern than your traditional arts and crafts, um, what's coming out of us. Mm-hmm. A lot of more like curves, um, bent, bent wood, stuff like that. So I guess I don't really know the answer. <laughs> We're figuring it out. You're figuring it out. <clears throat> well, I guess, like, what's that process like for you? I mean, did you, would you say you have, like, a set style just personally coming into this that, you know, is something you've always been drawn to? Or is this really, like, a, just a let's throw noodles at the wall and see what sticks? <laughs> Um, I do a lot of like research, a lot of looking around, going to museums, trying to get influence from everywhere because I still consider myself very, very new to this, even though I'm nine years in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a big fan of like simple, simple designs. I do really like seeing the joinery. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure if I have like my house is decorated and mod like mid-century stuff. Mm-hmm but I'm not sure that I want to make that. I like looking at it. Um, and I've built stuff for the house, of course, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. So how does, I mean, pro- this totally uh, selfish question here. How do you make that business work? <laughs> how do oh, you make question. a business of like making furniture and uh, teaching classes like how does that continue to support? I mean, you're supporting two people, two households, right? We are. We have me and Robert, the only full time. We have Jeff, who's still, he teaches the first day of all of our classes. Um, and then we have two part timers. So 
How we do it, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of luck. No. I mean, Jeff is Jeff opened Lauren Woodworking Incorporated in 1991, and the school opened in 2001. So I owe a huge debt to him for building a foundation. I inherited a business that was functioning already. Um, so I am like, all of it goes to him, but it sustains the school basically pays the bills, and then the furniture is like our selfish thing that we love. I mean, we love teaching yeah. too, but the furniture is like the, the passion. Um, and we'll get, you know, on a good year, we'll get 10 commissions. On a slow year, we'll get one or two. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just hope for the best. Um, we're trying to market a little bit better. That's a new development for us. So I know a lot of your guests are like very established on social media. <laughs> I am not that person. <laughs> not that person. You just started out talking about you were millennial though. So you were like born for this, right? I know. I was born <laughs> to know how to use it, but I am terrible <laughs> at like using it as a tool. I can like post photos of, I don't know things that look nice I guess but I don't know how to get people to care about it (laughs) I'm with you there I am definitely with you there um yeah uh well so you started I mean you started woodworking with no experience but even that is a totally different skill set than running a business like yeah that is a whole other that's true that's very true um so like when you're apprenticing I mean was Jeff like showing you kind of like behind the curtain as far as like the business aspect of it as well um he was always like super transparent uh because like the arrangement of our it's not a compound but it might as well be it's a 13 acre farm and Jeff's house is like 50 yards away from the shop Gotcha. And so it's a very intimate, like family business mm-hmm. vibe. Um, so he was always very transparent about like, this year has been a great year. So we get bonuses. This year has been terrible. So we need to work on this, you know. Right. Um, my mom is also an accountant. So when he started like thinking about handing over the books, I was like, I can do this. And I have someone on call to right. answer questions <laughs> if I'm like confused. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it's a lot of open communication. It's a lot of like, Jeff, what problems have you seen that I should be ready for? What successes have you seen? Um, what does this normally cost per year? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but since it is like a pretty small situation, it's, it's self-sustaining at the very least, knock on wood. Um, and some years have been like super great. So Mm -hmm. How do commission, how does commission work find you? Uh, we <laughs> Sometimes it's just chance and they cold call us. So I don't know. Um, but the, we do do like crap shows. Mm-hmm. So we probably do like two or three a year. Um, usually the ACC show in Baltimore. Um, we're doing the PMA show next weekend. Um, so we'll try to like put our face in front of people who are actively trying to consume, mm-hmm. you know, craft. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, some of our students are very kind and leave and go tell their friends that they should hire us to make stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you and Rob were the last two apprentices. Um, yeah. <clears throat> What do you think it was? I mean, what do you feel it is about like the combination of the two of you to to work together, to run the school, to do the commission work? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to you. I should ask you. <laughs> um, I think it was a combination of like Rob is he's 10 years older than me. He's got two kids. He's a very like established human person. And when I walked in, I was not that. (laughs) So I think that like we, we grew a partnership um, in a way that he, he was like confident in his building and his design Mm -hmm. work. And I came in just like excited. And then it shook out to be that he is really good at like the 
customer relation, like that kind of stuff. And I'm really good at keeping the business monetarily afloat. And then the design work is where we come in 50-50. And that's like the fun part. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I never really, I've talked kind of like, you know, I've been in maker spaces where there's a conferences where there's a bunch of us and you can just feel that vibe of excitement and working off of each other and like coming up with new ideas <clears throat> as far as like processes or how to, but yeah. I have never been in a space where it's like, I'm actually designing a piece with somebody. I would say I get pretty selfish over that. Like, um, yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> and, and that's in totally the sense fair. of like, most of the time it stays in my head, right? I'm not sure. one of those people who's really good at putting it on paper or on the computer before approaching actually doing it. So how does that design process work for you anyways, with another person involved? Um, Well, we've both made our fair share of like solo work and we still do if there's time um, or we have an idea that doesn't necessarily like fit under the lore umbrella. Mm -hmm. We'll just, you know, make our own thing I mean, nobody's trying to hold anybody to any, I don't know promises or I don't know but I think it usually starts with one of us having like we'll agree on what we're making for instance we currently are making a almost like a Krenoff inspired cabinet on a sand Um, and it started because we teach a class called cabinet and veneer work and we've never really been we made the cabinet as a Mm -hmm. teaching vessel and we've always wondered, like, we could make this so much cooler. <laughs> and so we just sat down one day and Rob was like, I like those Krenoff cabinets on a stand. And I was like, great. I really want to curve the front of something. So then I have to figure out how to bend the door parts. And he was like, great, let's do those two things. And then as we go through it, one of us will have an idea. The other one will be like, yeah, I think that would look a little weird. Um, or it sounds great. Or that's mm-hmm. all you. You figure it out and we'll meet back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, what projects do you, do you like to do solo? Like what's some of the stuff that you kind of really go after? <clears throat> um, I've been finding any excuse to hot pipe bend stuff lately. <laughs> <laughs> like all I want to do. Um, so I've been just making up projects that I can integrate that into. And that's usually how it goes. Like I'll try a new technique and be really into it for like six months and mm-hmm. I'll build something just to incorporate it. Um, but I'm a big fan of like cabinets, uh, things with doors and drawers. I like making secret compartments and stuff. It's like my my go-to move. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wanted to, but I have never pulled off the secret compartment thing. Like that's always been, do it. I know it's like one it's of those. So satisfying. I'm trying, well, I've, I've, I get stuck on the how, right. On the how yeah. to like make that happen, especially with the type of work I do. But like, I so badly want to do like a secret compartment in a carved table like a carved yeah. log table because I'm like that would just be so unexpected and like Agreed. cool you know yeah. that would be like, a true surprise I know but it's like how that I get stuck on the like how do I make that work like even yeah. right now I'm I'm mulling over I have some ideas on it wouldn't be secret but just even like incorporating a drawer into yeah. into a log uh you know, a carved log table. And it's like, yeah. cause there again, that's not something that's like done. Right. It's sure. not, <laughs> you don't see yeah. drawers happening in that stuff. True. Um, uh, so it's one of those things, like, I'm kind of like, you know, I have some wood that I, kn- I would not be upset. Like if it doesn't work out, if that makes sense, like, that's key. No, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that stuff would lend itself perfectly to it and if the drawer part didn't work out I could still probably salvage it into something um uh but yeah it's definitely one of those things that I've I think it's a fascination it's the same thing of like um I've seen people who just make like intricately like intricate pieces of furniture that incorporate like mechanical aspects to them those always like super intrigue me. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, I want to be able to do that. I just have never. I agree. (laughs) I agree. I like the first, normally my secret compartments are like 
very, I also was very nervous about the, like, how do you do it? So it started with like the false back to a drawer mm-hmm. and then you just flip the thing down and pull it out a little further, like very simple ones. And my most difficult was like a button that you push that kicks a drawer out. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I got into like mechanical things. And that mm-hmm. made me feel like, all right, like it's, it's intimidating, but it's just a little, it's like willing to sacrifice a couple of weeks of your life making something <laughs> So like, okay, so yeah, that exact thing, like, okay, I'm not gonna lie, I was totally influenced by uh, the movie National Treasure and watching like, the like, hit the button in the desk and like the like code and it all popped out, right? I so want to do that. But but it's like, so with your button thing, like, how do you even go about trying to figure that out? I mean, do you know somebody? Do you have a secret weapon, like a phone a friend that Ooh, we I all wish. need to know? <laughs> I wish. I would tell everyone. Um, no, that one, um, in the arts and crafts furniture, Jeff has buttons all over everything. And I always wondered, like, in his Morris chairs, there's, like, three buttons on the arm. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you could, like, press that and it turned your TV on or something right. crazy? <laughs> um, and then... This was like probably one of the last arts and crafts, arts and crafts, obvious pieces that we made. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to make one of these buttons work. So (laughs) I just cut like the mortise all the way through. And I was like, all right, from here, I at least have a channel so I can figure out like the rest of it. And if not, then we'll just glue a button in there and it's like it never happened. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty low stakes. Pretty, pretty low stakes, but I'm guessing it worked. It did. It has, yes, it has been functioning for like three years now. Nice. So is this something like at the school or in your home or? It's in our showroom. So we have like on site, we have like a little room that we keep our spec pieces safe, I guess. Hey makers, do you know Lauren of Rasp and File Designs? Well, if you don't, you should definitely go check out her work. You can find her on Instagram, Rasp File Designs. Lauren is making all kinds of cool furniture and home decor pieces out of live edge uh, hardwoods and metal bases. Um, that's not all she does though, so you should really go check her out and see what she's up to, especially as holiday seasons are coming up. And I know all of us makers really enjoy making our own Christmas presents, but perhaps you're running out of time, so you want to maybe go check out Lauren. She's in the D.C. area, so especially those who are close uh, location-wise to her. So go ahead, go check her out at Raspfile Designs on Instagram, and let's get back to the episode. Hey makers, today's episode is brought to you by Tool Mom and Company, or some of you know her as Tool Mom Bonnie. Uh, She has all kinds of tool related merchandise of gifts and clothing for all ages and genders available at toolmomstore.com. I have two of the coffee mugs. One says go girl and it has a circular saw with flames coming off the back, which is super sweet. And then the other one is the definition of a tool chick, which just makes you feel kind of badass when you're drinking out of it. So if you are in the market, especially as we're getting close to Christmas, for any tool-related merchandise, be that gifts or clothing, make sure you head on over to toolmomstore.com. And extra bonus, you can receive 20% off at checkout if you use the coupon code MAKERMOM. All right, let's jump back into the episode. Is it something, I mean, so you, if you've got that like showroom spec piece stuff, is that more like, do you guys get foot traffic if you're out in the middle of an acreage or is it like you're bringing client, potential clients there to show kind of more of that? Yeah, we don't, don't have much foot traffic, but people will call and ask if we can make something and we'll say, you should just, if you're nearby, you should come just see what we make and see if we are even in the realm of like what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly, I mean, we take all our stuff to these shows and in the in-between, we don't have any like place to keep it. So it's also a very fancy storage unit. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that too. Um, 
Okay, when you say shows and when you said craft show earlier, like is it craft furniture, craftsman type style, like, or is it like holiday craft show? Like, what are you talking when you're saying craft show? <laughs> um, they, the ones that we apply for are juried fine art craft shows. Okay. So they are, um, they have exhibitors from all over the country, if not all over the world, and they're like high-end, high-end craft. So there's jewelry, there's ceramics, there's all kinds of actual craft in the building, um, but it's usually like a, it's not your popsicle stick style craft show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so juried, you have to apply, you have to submit stuff to get uh, approved to enter in. And is it you're bringing spec pieces there to say this, these are things we could build for you and, and you know, trying to get like the, the custom orders um, or commission pieces? Or is it you're going and like this item is for sale, please buy it so we don't have to ship it back home? Both, 100% both. <laughs> Um, it is everything in the booth is for sale, inc including the booth. You want the booth? We will sell it to you. <laughs> um, but it's like, it usually, it's rare that we sell like a big ticket item off the floor at a craft show. It happens, but it's rare. Um, it's usually just people will see it um, and say, all right, these people would make like a cool desk for me. Um, mm -hmm. Or sign up for a class or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever we can offer that suits your needs. <laughs> gotcha. So what type of people are coming through? Is it like just an individual consumer type person or are you getting any like collectors or, you know, interior designers? Like what kind of people are coming through? Um, it depends on the show. Uh, usually all of the above. Um, mm -hmm. Usually the people that stop and talk to us are just individuals trying to fill their house with handmade things. Um, but occasionally you'll get an interior designer or someone trying to get like wholesale things mm -hmm. in motion. Um, sometimes you'll get collectors, but yeah, it's a whole, it's a mixed bag. It depends on the place, uh, depends on the year, depends on a lot of things. What, what price range are you guys in? at those shows for for like, what for what you have so like when you said it's not you know it's not necessarily typical for someone to buy a big ticket item like at yeah. the show so <clears throat> I mean honestly that's generally why I have stayed away from like uh you know that type of like art show craft show type thing is because I'm like who's coming to these things expecting to buy like an end table. Not very many people. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we have, like, we've had shows where we've sold $25,000 worth of stuff off the floor. Wow. Um, and then we've had shows where you don't sell anything at all. And then you get an email six months later, someone like rediscovered your card. And mm -hmm. they are then like, oh, we talked about a bed. And then like, maybe something will come of that. Um, but there are also people who are like professional craft show showers right. and they go to like crazy numbers every year, 12, 18, 20 shows a year, which is bonkers to me. And like, I admire that. <laughs> and they, they know a lot more about how to hustle in that environment than I do. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very interesting like circuit to be a part of. Mm -hmm. We've made a lot of friends, like fellow makers mm -hmm. in that circuit. Um, so it's been, I mean, it's been rewarding whether we sell $25,000 worth of stuff or not. Well, and it, <clears throat> it's long hours too, right? I mean, you're, yeah. it's, it's a long weekend usually when you're doing something like that. Um, it and it's not cheap. It's not no. like nothing about it is easy. Like the PMA craft show is happening the sixth, seventh and eighth of this month and they're going virtual because mm -hmm. um and we were discussing like i wonder what a virtual show is going to be like like are people we're going to be at the shop ready to zoom ready to host like in-person visitors if they want um but it's going to be very different because craft shows are like people want to touch stuff and they want to yes. like open drawers yeah. um so we were like i wonder what that's going to be like but also like kind of glad we didn't have to pack up all the furniture and set up a booth and like move into a convention center. Right. So 
I don't know. Only time will tell. Yeah. So, I mean, usually, I mean, non-COVID times, what is that? What's that like? I mean, can you kind of just walk through like you've got that a show, come, a three-day show coming up? What do you have? What goes into that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's like we make it a big event because we only do two or three a year. So, and we do them usually within like a three-hour drive of us. Um, so we're not like, I don't know, we're not big timers, but mm-hmm. um, we will shut down the shop for the week before and clear all the benches out and set up our booth in the shop and then decide what we're going to bring with us and see it all in front of us before we go. Um, usually we try to make at least one new piece for each show that we go to. And usually we're still working on it <laughs> until like the day before. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so even though we talk about it for the year out, like we're going to make this jewelry cabinet and then it's still like six hours before we pack up the truck mm-hmm. and we're like, last go to finish, going to make it. Yes. Gonna make it. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, we load up either like a sprinter van or we have a pickup truck with a trailer, um, load it and like wrap everything, load it in drive wherever we're going um usually have a designated unload time so we'll drive into whatever convention center it happens to be unload everything into a pile in a 10 by 10 square and then pull the truck out eat some food and like settle in for a six hour setup put the walls up put the rug down unpack furniture put the lights up pull out all the business cards so so that's your space you're working with a 10 foot by 10 foot booth space usually um, we try to get 10 by 15 because furniture is bigger um, yeah. but your traditional booth size is 10 by 10 yeah yeah that just sounds tiring <laughs> it is it is but it's also like the setup and the breakdown is just all of the craft people just like messing around so like we're stressed and we're like a little tired but you're also like hanging out talking to people about how the show went and like getting to know people, meeting people you haven't mm-hmm. met before, like making last sales are usually two fellow makers. Like we'll walk around and as they're packing up, I'll be like, Oh, I really like that vase. And it's, I mean, it's fun. It's exhausting, but it's really fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you said, time will tell this year, right? How the virtual one goes and how that works. Um <clears throat> I might, I might have to message you after this weekend and just be like, how'd it go? Actually, <laughs> I will say it was great. <laughs> um, so in that space, in that space, in the craft space, in the shop, um, just out of curiosity, how many female apprentices did Jeff ever have? I think I was the second or third, so ratio way off, Um, (laughs) but I think that it wasn't, um, he was very willing, like, Mm -hmm. not that he shouldn't be, but he seemed unfazed by the fact that I was a woman, so I don't think that it was because of that, I think it was a lack of, like, applicants um, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. What about with your guys' classes? Like, are you, do you see a fair amount of women come through? It's, it's actually very, I, I'm sure I observe it more than anyone else who works with us. But since I started working there in 2012, I've seen a steady incline. And I don't know if that's just because we're operating in a world where women are more interested in trade. Um, or if it's because they see our website and see a woman instructor and feel like it's a safe space for them to come learn. I'm not sure. Um, but it's been very exciting. Our last class ended on Saturday and there were three women out of eight students. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, I think you're right. You, it, it might not have been as noticed if it wasn't a female teaching the class and seeing, you know, and being able and being able to recognize that <clears throat> as a thing. Um, have you had any challenges ever with being the instructor as a female and potentially instructing classes of all men? Um, it's, 
it's I don't know I don't I haven't had any problems necessarily um I do because of my age I think I get a lot of like almost like a it's cute that you do this kind of vibe mm-hmm. um, so when I'm like teaching a lesson it's like the the laughter and the, like the feedback I get is like oh it's cute that she knows that I'm like <laughs> what um but I don't think I don't like it's I'd rather that than them like ignore me or be rude right or, right you know well I was just that was going to be my next question what would you say is the average age of the people coming through taking a class <laughs> um our demographic is easily 90 percent white males over 50 mm-hmm. probably um I'd say that in the past five years or so we're seeing a lot more um, younger people uh, who have had tech jobs and they just want to do something with their hands because mm-hmm. um, our classes are there are six days so it's a time investment but it's not like a full-on program so you right, don't have to right. like dedicate months of your life um, so yeah it's it's changed a lot in the past few years the demographic but our bread and butter is definitely your traditional white older male woodworker Mm-hmm. somebody who's probably looking at it more as like upping their hobby game yeah or going into re- what are they going to do once they get into retirement type of thing exactly exactly okay. yeah um and so I I asked that because then I that's the demographic I would expect to give you that oh it's cute that you know that type of response right <clears throat> yeah um it was similar when I took I took um classes as as part of a program at a community college uh, when living in California. And the the program actually had to shut down because people who were taking it were either either retired or about to be retired, you know, older white gentlemen who had no interest in getting a degree. They were just taking Uh, these classes to like increase their knowledge for what they were going to build at home or what Christmas present were they going to build, you know, make for their family that year. Um, And because nobody was actually like graduating, like the program had to shut down. Um, (laughs) It is a bummer um, because it was a really, really good program. Um, But I, I had similar received similar reactions sometimes with some of the gentlemen that I was taking classes with of like, that's cute that you think you can do that, (laughs) you know, type thing. Um, And, and not necessarily a bad way. It was like, they would interject themselves as like a grandfatherly figure type. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's intended to be like encouragement. Right. um, But it's read as like, just like a little condescending. Yes. (laughs) Just a little. Um, well, I mean, you have the experience of getting, I mean, do you and Rob co-teach classes? Yeah, um, we, we tag team basically the bulk. Um, our practical woodworking class is the one we run the most often. Um, and Jeff still teaches the first day because he wants to, like he has a few health issues um, so he can't be around as much as he would like. And he really, I think, takes that first day as an exciting chance to like interact with people and like mm-hmm. be on his feet. And so he teaches the first day and then me and Rob tag team basically half and half uh, for the lessons for the rest of the week. And then our advanced classes, me and Rob designed most of them, like the classes themselves. So we teach those the other two. Okay. So I, I asked because then you're in a unique, you have a unique perspective of being able to directly contrast the reactions from you teaching something versus Rob teaching something. (laughs) And the reactions from the, the reactions from the students. Um, I would, so I would say you probably notice, uh, you know, like you said, just that a, a tone thing that's meant to be like, um, encouraging but can come off as is a little bit not sometimes um yeah. I would assume that they don't talk to Rob that way no no um but it's interesting because Rob picks up on it a lot so then at the end of the day he'll be like can you believe that that person said that and I'm like yeah man because it happens all the time <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but I'm, I'm glad I that mean, he's that aware. <laughs> oh, he is. It's yeah. I'm very, I'm very grateful that like having a male collaborator and like co-business owner, he is the first to push me out in front and be like, Larissa knows more about this than I do. So listen to her. Um, and he, he tells people all the time, like, they'll call me over to help lift something and they'll, they'll offer to step in. And he's like, no, Larissa's never not been able to pick something up this time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, he's a great, a great co-business owner um, and general business partner. So I have, I, I want to ask, um, given that you're, at least you're near Philly, right? Is the, the school and the shop is near Philly? Yeah, it's like 30 miles outside. Okay. So given the demographics of Philly, as far as yeah. population wise, do you see any trickle of that representation as far as, um, you know, black and brown people starting to show up for classes? Um, a little bit. I wish more. Um, we've been talking about this, well, for the past like three or four years, trying to figure out like a scholarship, like a way to offer a scholarship. Um, but our issue is that we don't have the, like the reach. We have 2000 followers on the internet. Like, I don't know how to get a scholarship to our school in front of people yet. Um, mm -hmm. But we we've been actively like planning that and trying to form relationships with places in Philly, like the Center for Art and Wood mm -hmm. and like organizations inside Philly so that when we get our ducks in a row, we can say like, tell everybody that this is here um, because we want our doors to be open to anyone who's interested mm -hmm. um, at any point and we can make it work. And it's true, even without a scholarship, if you were to come to us and say, we want to pay, I want to pay in installments for the next 12 months, I would say, great, let's do it, you know? right whatever gets you in these doors and like using tools, let's do it. Mm -hmm. uh, have you guys, uh, do you guys put, have pieces in the, the center uh, for art and wood? Um, we had boxes in their bandsaw box auction last month. I guess it just wrapped up like mm -hmm. a week ago, um, but we don't have any like pieces in the museum as of yet. Okay. But we have a really good relationship with them over there. So we were constantly in contact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you participate? I don't remember this. So that's what I'm asking. Did you participate in making a seat at the table? I applied, um, okay. was not selected. However, I went to the opening and it was the same night as the Philly Furniture Show that year. They had like a opening night party or something. And I said to Rob, listen, I have to go witness history. So you're going to yeah. have to man the booth because I cannot <laughs> miss this. Um, uh, so I abandoned our booth and I was at the opening and it was like the most incredible. Awesome. Did you get to spend time with Laura at all? Laura Mays? I met her. We all went out after the show and I met her, I think, for the first time there. Um, and I just like try not to fangirl out. I'm like meeting all of these incredible people that I just admire so right. much and like keep it together be cool like <laughs> chill out <laughs> yeah uh I could see that I could see that I, I've had Laura was on the podcast and um I listened oh I listened I, yeah <laughs> and I fangirled a little bit you know on the inside same thing same monologue yeah. going on on the inside yes <laughs> um so that's that's awesome that you got to go there for for the opening night um and I hope that they, I hope that they get to have another show at some point in time. Um, I agree. I think that's something that they both would love to do again, but it's a lot it of It sounds work. like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds, when I was talking to them briefly, it sounded like they both threw all of themselves into it for a long period of yes. time. And then the yeah. book, yeah. I imagine it's taking up crazy amounts of energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I love that you, you have already, you know, you're starting to try to figure out how to do scholarships and get more people in through the door. Is that what you feel is like the biggest barrier is cost? Um, I think it's a large barrier. Um, yeah. I think it's also like coming to realize that like, even if you do take our six day class and you learn how to use all these tools, like what happens next? 
So we don't have enough space to like rent out shop space to people right. who want to use it. And it's not realistic for people to come out from Philly, although I do it every day. It's not realistic for most people <laughs> right. uh, to make that trip. So um, I guess it's like, how do we make woodworking accessible on like a grander mm-hmm. scale? So they can come learn from places like us and then they have a place to go to like practice and hone those skills. And that's where community maker spaces yeah. become like super critical. Yeah. I was going to say, I would assume Philly being so large, they've got to have at least one, if not more. Uh, yeah, there's a couple. Spaces. Yeah. Yeah. So have you done any partnering with, with them at all? Um, not yet. Um, we recommend the ones that are around, like, mm-hmm. it's like a gym, but a wood shop. Go, <laughs> go do it. Um, so I know that like Philadelphia Woodworks and NextFab are both phenomenal places and like super well-equipped. And I've heard really good things from our students who have come back and told us, um, but we haven't formed any partnerships as of yet. Although that's also something I hope hope for as we mm-hmm. expand, you know, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, how do you start planning for, I mean, Jeff built up a business uh, yeah. in a certain way, but it sounds yeah. like you and Rob have perhaps a a different vision for it going forward? Well, I think Jeff's vision um, was he built a business that he wanted to, knowing that he wanted to hand it off at some point so that he could retire like lots of makers can't because Mm -hmm. you don't make enough money to retire. So the idea was that this business would carry on um, and he's encouraged us to do anything that we like can think of. So we've expanded our class options. We gave ourselves a logo for the first time in the history of the business. And we're trying to do the scholarship and we're donating pieces to raffles and just trying to get like this functioning business more out so that we can be part of a community instead Mm -hmm. of isolated to our little farmland. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you mentioned though, too, like you said, with the shows, you've gotten to become friends with other Yeah. people, right? Um, Yeah. Is there synergy there to make it to broaden that community and make it more? Yeah, I think so. Um, Every time that we talk to people in our area, everyone is always stoked. Like, what can we do together? Like, how can Mm -hmm. we create something together? Um, So I think the want is there. It's just a matter of maybe like post COVID when we all have living wages. Um, and yeah. like, what, what can we dream up? Cause I feel like anything is possible and Philadelphia is notorious for being like a craft hub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that the, like the platform is there, the space is there, the want is there. We just have to pursue any, any collaborations, any dreams we can think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With my, my job job, I did get to go to Philly once. And I will say, I want to make sure I can go back again because there's just so much, there's so much history there, right? Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> history and craft and the whole East Coast, really, there's just so much, uh, so much there. Uh, the start of the country, the start of a lot of things. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, kind of to circle back, like, what took you to Philly? from Massachusetts to Florida to Philly? <laughs> um, honestly, it was me being in a place that I didn't want to be um, and feeling like very stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that I was dating at the time had friends in Philly. So we came up to visit and like crashed on couches. And I was like, I can afford rent here. There are <laughs> things happening here <laughs> let's go uh-huh. <laughs> um and I never like I don't I didn't plan on it being my forever home mm-hmm. I didn't not plan on that it was just kind of like a move forward right uh, but since I I love Philly so so much and I love my business and now I've found a partner and I, I'll be here for the foreseeable future and it was all just completely a need to do something somewhere mm-hmm. else Mm -hmm. awesome well we're actually like at the end of our time together (laughs) i know (laughs) 
went fast, right? Um, yeah. So I want to give you a chance, though, to uh, shout out and let everybody know, like, where they can follow along with you at. Um, I All the fun stuff is under the Lore Woodworking name right now. So we're at Lore Woodworking on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we also have that website. And then I have a personal account, Larissa Huff, where you can see the things that I make off the side in my weird life photos. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing weird about them. That's how I found you. Uh, Great. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for doing all of this for everyone. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and like it, I always say, it's totally selfish. It allows me to reach out to people and have an excuse to talk to me. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds awesome. It was a good move. Well that's, done. That's right. <laughs> I had to take it before anybody else did. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't work for me. There you go. <laughs> All right. So again, that was Larissa of Laura Woodworking in the Philadelphia area. I'll include links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes, which you can find at freemanfurnishings.com. You can also check out the description on your podcast app or down below on YouTube uh, to follow along with her. If you are really enjoying the podcast, please make sure that you hit the subscribe button on whatever app you are either listening or watching this interview on. And head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, leave a comment down below on YouTube. All of that helps the algorithms know that this is a podcast that not only you like, but others may like as well. Please, please, please make sure you follow along with the Maker Mom podcast over on Instagram. That is just at Maker Mom podcast. Share about your favorite episode, what maker you're really loving learning more about. Make sure you tag Maker Mom podcast in your stories or in your feed when you do those shares. I love seeing them and I'll make sure to share them out as well. If you want to learn more about joining the tribe over on Patreon, just head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Maker Mom podcast and check out all the different tier availabilities over there. There is a one, three, five and $30 tier level. All of the tiers get you access to any additional content, which will include live uh, interviews, access to live interviews as they are going on on Zoom, which will give you access to be able to ask all of these awesome makers questions at the end of the interview. We've had one so far and there will be more to come, I promise you that. The one, three, five dollar tier levels come with different merchandise depending on what level you choose. The $30 a month tier level makes you an official sponsor of the podcast, which means you get your very own ad spot um, in every episode, every week, all month long. Those are very limited spots. In fact, I only have one left. So if you are interested in that, I would jump on that rather sooner rather than later. And lastly, I did get some new um, podcast swag up and available for both the Maker Mom podcast as a whole and the Friday episodes where I'm interviewing parents and then the Wonder Women series, the, the logo that goes along with that. So there's new swag available. Please go check that out. You can find the link to that over at Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram. So check out the link in the bio over at Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram to get your swag. Christmas is coming up. There's still plenty of time to get that stuff ordered. There's teas, there's face masks, there's coffee mugs. Uh, what else are there? There's all kinds of stuff. So go check it out. Um, and when I am not interviewing and editing to make podcast episodes, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com. And you can look for me at Freeman Furnishings pretty much across all social media. So TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I'm most active uh, most often over at TikTok and Instagram. That's where I kind of keep things most up to date for what projects I'm working on currently, what crazy things I happen to be power carving that week, and then over at YouTube as well. All right, so it is middle of the week. It is the day before Thanksgiving here in the States. So I hope all of you, if you are traveling, please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Um, 
We don't need any more people getting sick in this country than already are. So please keep that in mind and I will see you all on Friday. Thank you.